Well, good morning again. It is so good to be here with you this morning to worship. And uh, as I told the wedding party last night, uh, whether or not we had power in here this morning, it was going to be hot because power or no, we have not a functioning air conditioner in here. So uh, we get to feel the, the, the warm this morning, but we are so glad that you've joined us for worship. I do believe that God is going to speak and going to continue to speak to us through our time here together as we look into his word, as we um, honor uh, some great accomplishments, and as we look forward to the future. If, if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord again for a moment of prayer as we turn our attention now to the word of God. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. God, I thank you for uh, these graduates that we have here with us and for their great accomplishment, Lord, making it through school, making their way to the end, uh, climbing the, the mountain of, of this academic uh, season of their life. And God, I thank you even more that we've had the opportunity to walk with them through this season. And Lord, I thank you that as we prepare to release them into the world, Lord, that you have prepared others to come alongside with them as well, to support them, to encourage them, and to lift them up as they move and pursue you and pursue the things you have for them in their lives. God, I pray that you would speak to us now through these moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, walking is one of the most basic functions of the human life. Right? There are two things when you have a child that you really look for them to do, right? Two things that you're really excited about them doing for the first time. The first is you want to hear those first words, right? You want to hear them speak, and if it's anything like it was in our home, there's a friendly or not so friendly competition to see whether or not the first word will be mama or dada. And, and so there's the, and you don't let the other forget when it happens uh, for the rest of their lives, right? That's what you want. You want to hear those first words. You want to hear the child speak. But then you also want to see the child walk. Right? And so before the child is even ready, you like start working them out. Like that poor baby is in a gym class as you're holding them and bouncing them. And, and we, we're doing that because we want to see those legs. We've got to strengthen those legs up, baby. we got to go. There's some races to be run. And I think it's kind of funny as I'm thinking about it even now. We, we work and we are so excited about those first two things, walking and talking. And then once they start, we can't get them to shut up or sit still. And we're like, what have we done? Right? There's little terrors, and they keep talking back. It's like, this is your fault. You created this monster quite literally, and you trained it to do this. But walking, right? We, it's one of those things that, that we do. It's one of those things that I notice in just about any culture, anywhere you go. In America, we're very much about, about riding and driving and going anywhere. And it's funny, when you go to a culture like India, they think that we can't walk. And so if you have to go 15 feet from that door to a door over there, they will pull an air-conditioned car up front, escort you to the car, drive you the 15 feet, open the door, and escort you in the building. It's like, you know what? My legs work. I, I will be okay. But in most cultures, they walk places. They go places. They're with one another. And there's, there's a sense of community and, and, and growth and relationship that happens in the context of having those walks, taking those walks with one another. It's one of those things that, that every year around this time, this does not get any easy for me. I thought that once I became the senior pastor and I moved out of the youth ministry that you all would graduate and I'd be like, see you later, no big deal. But it still bothers me. 
knowing that, and, you know, with Michaela or any of the students, it doesn't matter. Knowing that their faces won't be here every Sunday or frequently on Sundays in the fall, it bothers me. It makes me sad. You're not even my kids. <laughs> but you are. And I am so grateful every time about this time of year for the chance that we've had to walk with you. For the chance that we've had to be a part of your life, to share your lives, to invest in your lives, and to watch you grow and blossom into the adults that God has created you to be. It is an amazing blessing. And I don't think it's accidental. I don't think that God placed these young people in this congregation, in this community by accident. I don't, I don't believe that God placed them in your homes by accident. I don't believe that God placed the teachers in the schools that have invested them and the coaches in the schools that have invested. I don't think any of that is an accident. And there's a story in, in the Bible that I often think about when I think about this, this, this process of walking with students and then seeing them move and, and how, how quickly it passes that I'd like for us to share. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. If not, it will be up on the screen, but Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to look briefly this morning. Acts 8, starting in verse 26. And it says this, Acts 8, 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him about the good news of Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared as Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in the towns until he reached Caesarea. So we see this, this weird blip, if you will, where, where Philip is doing one thing, God redirects him, and then suddenly, just as suddenly as he came, Philip is gone. And I think there's, there, there's some important encouragement for us this morning and reminders for us as we consider our, the brevity of our time with one another, with, with these students and those that will come behind and those that will join them in the future. And I want to encourage us with these today. First thing I want us to think about is this, that God puts us on path with others for a purpose. God puts us on the path with others 
for a purpose. As I stated a moment ago, I truly believe that there is no such thing as a chance encounter. There's no such thing as a chance encounter. God, in fact, puts us in the right place at the right time to join with the right people whom he would have us walk with for a while. We see Philip giving God clear instruct God giving Philip clear instructions here in verse 26 of chapter 8. God instructs Philip to actually make a complete about face from the way he'd been going to head out on the road to the middle of nowhere. It seems like an incredibly random turnaround. And in a lot of ways, it is. Philip is currently, if we go back to the preceding passage, Philip is making his way north to Caesarea. Caesarea was the capital of the region. Any, anybody that was anybody and anything that was happening of significance quite literally passed through Caesarea. It was the port through which all Roman goods traveled. It was the center of civilization. It was the ancient Near East version of New York City. And Philip is making his way up to this large metropolitan area to begin spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he's making his way to this big city to do this big work that he believed God has called him to, God says to him, hey, no, I don't want you to go that way. I want you to turn and go the exact opposite direction. And rather than going to this big city with all of these people, I want you to go out into the middle of the desert. I want you to head south to the desert road down to this southern city. And the city now that Philip is heading towards was a destroyed city. There there was no city. It was now a small little village. And so Philip goes from heading to the middle of everywhere to literally the middle of nowhere. It seems incredibly random. A hundred mile reroute on foot. And as Philip is following the path on which God has set him, he just happens to come across the Ethiopian eunuch who just happens to to be looking through the word of God and struggling to understand what he's looking for. Now the passage indicates to us that Philip is what, or the Ethiopian eunuch is what we would call in modern parlance a seeker. He is, he is a, someone who is a God-fearer. He, he believes that there is a God, and he believes that, that the Jewish scriptures have the key to that God, but he really doesn't understand. So he's someone who's aligning himself close to the Jewish religion, but he hasn't quite made a conversion yet. He's just gone to Jerusalem to worship, so, so there's, there's a sense where he is trying to understand, trying to get as close to, to this God as he can so that he might understand who he is and how he should live in light of that. And as Philip makes his way out to the middle of nowhere, he happens upon, just happens upon, this eunuch who is looking for the God that he serves. It reminds me of when I was a kid. Part of my testimony is that, that before I came to Christ, my parents didn't, didn't attend a church. And, and the, day, the first day that I went to church, I had actually been staying the night with a friend named Kyle. And Kyle had just got two brand new jogging suits. And so the next day, we decided, two five, six-year-old kids decided that we needed to try these bad boys out. So we put on the jogging suits, one red and one blue, and went outside. And at 7.45 in the morning on a Sunday, began jogging around the trailer park. Who does that? Five years old, we're going to go jogging around the neighborhood. And so as we're jogging, and by that point, let's be real honest, we jog for about 100 feet and we're like, this is for the birds. Why does anyone do this? 
So we had turned around to make our way back to his house. And as we're walking back to his house, a, a church bus just happens to pull up where these crazy, ridiculous kids had been jogging. And this really nice, mustachioed, toupeed man jumped off the bus and said, Hey, would you kids like to go to church? My friend Kyle was like, You see us? We're jogging, man. Like, we're busy. And I'm like, church sounds really good when compared to jogging right now. So I made my way back to Kyle's house. I changed my clothes. I ran back home. I told my mom, hey, I'm going to church. And I jumped on the bus with Dale Sowers. Dale Sowers, this really nice man. I can still see him in my head today. Super nice guy. Always had candy in the inside pocket of his jacket. Anytime he would come into the sanctuary, the kids would mob him. And he was the picture of Jesus in our church. And I remember that moment, that moment where, where Dale Sowers and the First Baptist Church bus just happened on the spot where these two kids just happened to be jogging with a kid who happened to not want to be jogging anymore, calls him to join them on the bus, and I am here to tell you that that moment fundamentally changed the direction of my life. I was heading one way, and I jumped in a bus and quite literally went the other and that bus put me on a trajectory, on a path that caused me to meet many other men and women who invested in me as they walked with me, some for very short periods of time. I remember my fourth grade Sunday school teacher, Rick Sigmund. I still have the Bible he gave me at home with the Beatitude stickers on it that I placed on it. And, and Rick Sigmund only walked with me for one year, but Rick Sigmund made a major impact in my life. He was my Sunday school teacher who told me about Jesus, that when I heard the message from the pulpit and went and accepted Christ, the mechanics of that came from Rick Sigmund. And there are many other people I could point out, people that, that, that ended up on my path at certain times, and, and it doesn't make sense that we had ended up at the same place. We shouldn't have had anything in common. We shouldn't have been in those places. That, that God, re, in his, his glorious grace, reworked and moved my life and turned me so that I had the right people in my path at the right time when I needed them. I believe that that what we often see as random actions are God-inspired movements that put us on the path to encounter those who will invest in our lives and help make us the people that God has created us to be. Men and women who love us, care for us, teach us, and challenge us, though they might only walk with us for a little while. The moments when our lives intersect with others are divine appointments that are pregnant with divine potential. Our relational interactions, though they may seem inconsequential, maybe even at times inconvenient to us, are incredibly important. You might be the perfect person to walk with, to love and care for, to provide guidance and encouragement for another person for a season in their lives. We see that the Ethiopian is in need of a helping hand. He needs someone who has understanding that he doesn't have. He needs someone who has been there and done that, who can guide him along the way. Someone who's willing to join him for that phase of the journey. And in that moment, the randomness of that interaction, the randomness of the rerouting, disappears 
And the perfect timing and positioning of God Almighty is seen. At some point, we have to recognize that the right person at the right place at the right time is a matter of divine provision and not a matter of dumb luck. It happens too often for it to simply be a matter of chance. Sometimes, more often than we might think, you are the perfect person in the perfect place at the perfect time to join with and assist another in their journey towards Jesus for a season. We see that in the life of Philip. Second thing, make the most of every opportunity to make a difference in the life of another. Make the most of every opportunity to make a difference in the life of another. Again, God will put us in the right place at the right time. But we have to make the decision to do the right thing in those instances. We have to, as Pastor Mike would like to often say, we have to decide in those moments to step out, to do work, and to be Jesus for them. Philip had to see and receive the opportunity that was before him. He had to step into even the awkwardness of the moment. Do you see what happens? Like God in his divine wisdom doesn't just put him in with him, but he says, hey, you know what? Philip, see that guy up there on that, that, on that chariot? I want you to go down and listen in to what he's talking about. Go in like creeper mode, like stalk him and listen to what he's talking about because people back then used to read out loud. So Philip just kind of walks along next to this, this, this chariot listening to the guy talk. It's, a, it's akin to listening to someone have a conversation on their cell phone and then correcting them because they're wrong in something they said on the cell phone. And that's what Philip is doing. He's listening, listening along, creepering up on this guy. And, and he's like, hey, 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 do you understand what you're reading? Like, we have to learn. There's something in there for us. Brothers and sisters, we have to learn to embrace the awkward. There's something that it's a little uncomfortable sometimes when we get in close proximity with other people. Some of us are more awkward than others. But when we get up close and, and we're, we're in, in their space and they're in ours and, and, and they can hear what we're saying and we can hear what they're saying and we can see how they're living and they can see how we're living, there, there's a sense of we're giving up some of our privacy, and, and there does tend to be a little bit of awkwardness in that. My encouragement to you today is this. Embrace the uncomfortable. Embrace the awkward and invite them in. Or invite yourself in to their lives. Step out. Do work. Be Jesus. You could serve as a mentor or a discipler of people. And we make this way more difficult than it needs to be. Mentoring and discipleship at the most basic levels are simply letting others walk with, watch, and interact with us as we do our best to live the life that God has for us. It's opening avenues for us to live life together as we seek God's plan for us. Think about even Jesus. The vast majority of the ministry we see from Jesus involves him going for a walk with 12 dudes. That's it. And as they're walking, they do what people do as they're traveling. They talk, they interact, and Jesus shares some, some teaching moments along the way and helps them out. But really, it, it all centers around them taking a three-year walk together. He invites these 12 young guys into his space. 
He answers their questions. He shares their successes and sorrows. He helps them learn and grow from their failures. And he entrusts them with important tasks that they could do on their own. Is this not what we are called to do as parents? That we walk with and we invest in? Is this not what teachers do every week with our children? Is, is this not what mentors do for mentees? That we walk with people, we let them see what's going on, and we invest with them. We, we give them advice as best we can in the moments we can. And, and we fail sometimes, and they fail sometimes, but also we succeed and we see great growth because of the investments we make with them. I find that faith is best formed through not only hearing the truth, but seeing it in action in real life and engaging it in it together. You know what the greatest moments of investment that I think of as I look back at my life and all the things that I, I've been through with, with high school, going to high school at a Christian school, being involved in churches, going through various levels of education. You, you know the mentor who made the difference in, most difference in my life? You know where he made the biggest difference? I mean, his name, I've talked about him before. His name was Ron Bouvier. He was my basketball coach and did some amazing things coaching up a, a six-foot-tall kid to be able to play basketball at, at a higher level. That was a great investment, and I'm grateful for that. He was also my Bible teacher, and so I would go into Bible class, and, and he would make me report how I was doing on my devotions, and we'd have a lot of conversations about that. And, and he taught me a lot of things about basic theology, and that was great. He let me help him as an assistant basketball coach one year and as a, as a sophomore in high school, and that was great. But you know where Ron Bouvier made the biggest impact in my life? Out of all places, the local Aldi. Ron Bouvier would call me up periodically and say, hey, man, I hate Aldi. Just for the record, Aldi is the threshold of hell for me. I do not like that store at all. My wife will tell you. But, but Ron Bouvier would call me sometimes, and he'd say, hey, Jay, I'm going grocery shopping. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, I ain't got nothing else to do. Sounds good to me. And so I'd go shopping with Mr. Bouvier, and we would walk through the aisles, and, and Bouv would talk to me about what was going on in my life, and, and really, we were just kicking it. We're walking around, and I'm talking about my life, and he's sharing with me about his life, and, and I'm sharing about challenges I'm facing, and he's sharing with me about challenges he's faced. Sometimes I would go with Mr. Boove and his wife, Amy, and we'd walk and I'd watch them interact in the grocery store and I would see how, how they would go back and forth and I watched how he was a husband to Amy. And subsequently he would have kids and I'd watch him as he would deal with his kids in the grocery cart and, and I would see him struggle with things at times and I would see him succeed with things at times. And Mr. Bouvier just invited me into his life. Let me do simple things with him. And I'm here to tell you that those moments at Aldi, I can remember crystal clear things that he said to me in those moments. It wasn't the big things. It didn't require the college degree that he had to make the difference in my life. You know what it required? It required time and space. And a willingness to allow me, some punk kid, to walk with him. That's what discipleship's about. If we want to make a difference in the life of another, it starts by inviting them into our space. It starts with proximity. And I'm going to argue that the biggest difference maker, the, 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 the space we create, involves us of inviting people to take a walk with us, to walk through life together. Philip wasn't a Bible scholar, he, but he was a Greek convert to Christianity. He was an outsider who'd made his way in. 
a Gentile who joined this religion that was developing. He was the absolute perfect person to meet with the Ethiopian eunuch to help him understand what he was looking at. And Philip's steps of faith led to the Ethiopian make a life-changing decision as he came to faith in Christ. I read this in a book called Walk With Them this week. Jesus doesn't need skilled experts who know it all, but people who extend an invitation to walk together with humility. We invite people to walk with us because we focus not on ourselves, but on the person we're really inviting them to follow, the Lord Jesus. Our greatest glory lies in those we have set or helped set on the path towards Jesus Christ. But here's where we're going to draw it all together. We need to make the moment last, make the moment matter, because the moment won't last. Make the moment matter, because the moment won't last. Time truly does fly. Notice what happens in the passage. It feels like this sometimes, doesn't it? God sets Philip on the path, and he, he has him walk with this man for a short period. The person comes to an amazing point of decision, and boom, Philip is gone. Now, for us, it kind of goes the other way, right? We, we walk with these kids. We walk with people for a while, and we do our best to invest in them, to, to guide them, to direct them, to love them, then care for them. And one day they're here, and the next they're off into the world. And we think to ourselves, what just happened? I mean, I, I went and spoke at a graduation the other day, and the kids that are graduating were seventh graders when I left West Virginia. And I remember looking out at these kids and thinking how little they were and thinking, how in the world did this happen? How did we get here? Parents, any of you feeling like that? You look at your kids, and they're getting ready to walk across the stage, and you're thinking, you, you know how you got here, but at the same time, you're thinking, how did we get here? How is this happening? Some of you, this is your second or third graduate, and you're like, how are we here again? Time flies. In James, it tells us that life is like a mist. Not to bank on tomorrow being there, that, that what we need to do is deal with what we have before us today. The psalmist says that life is like the wind that passes and is gone. It doesn't return, that each moment is only available in that moment. Quicker missionary Stephen Brellett stated it this way, I shall pass this way but once. Any good that I can do or kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. We are given a limited amount of moments on this earth. And God grants us precious few to walk with various people to make investments in their lives, to help them grow and develop in meaningful ways, whether that be in their knowledge and understanding of the scripture or whether that be in their understanding in math class or their learning of a band instrument or their coaching on, on a field or, or their training in a gym or, or whatever it might be. We have brief moments with those that God brings into our life and we need to make the most of those moments because they will not last. We need to invest ourselves in the lives of others through sharing lessons learned, through offering our love for them, demonstrating our love for God, and hopefully helping them take meaningful steps towards the person that God has created them to be. 
And the investments that we make can play an important role in informing the path they take as they continue into the future and continue to become the people God has made them to be. The Bible tells us that when Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch separate, Philip continues his trek north to Caesarea, while the Ethiopian continues on his journey towards the south. And we know that Philip goes north and shares the gospel in Caesarea. But what happens to the Ethiopian eunuch? Well, extra-biblical literature actually tells us that he went home and became the first missionary to Ethiopia. That he led many to Christ, sharing the gospel with his people. You know, whether or not any of these young people become missionaries is inconsequential. We've done the best that we can. And we've invested in you as best we can, hoping that God will continue to guide and direct you and continue to develop you. And our plan is to continue to offer our assistance, but our, our hope is that God will bring others to walk along with them as they continue on their way. Knowing that God has prepared people for them in their future to help them continue becoming whom God has made them to be. But for us that remain... We need to continue to make the most of the moments that are available, understanding that they pass incredibly quickly, and trusting that God will use our investments to bring an incredible return through their lives. To those of you that have invested in these students, thank you. You've made an incredible impact on them, I'm sure. May we continue to trust God as he leads them into the future.